for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, good morning. Everybody survived the power outage, right? I forgot I had turned uh, on a lamp. I went to sleep before the power outage, and then um, I got woke up briefly because the lamp came on, and like, oh, went back to sleep. So it didn't bother me a bit. But um, new property, I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, kind of, kind of cool. Yeah, um, very cool. So I'll be praying for you guys, and um, thank you so much. It is just um, you all. Um, I just I love you guys more than you can even imagine. Um, um, the um, you know I don't know how many people have already stopped and asked me about Taylor and the dog uh, this morning. Uh, some people asked me about the brisket. Uh, so, so I just love you guys and so thank you. Uh, so appreciate so much your your just your love, your hospitality, uh, and just uh, it's not a it's not a small thing to be uh, loved on and encouraged by the body of Christ. Uh, I, I think I, I have found that encouragement kind of sometimes is in short supply in the church of Jesus Christ today. Uh, it can be, it can be. So when you come in a place where you're kind of a stranger and uh, kind of a maybe a strange stranger at that, um, and you get so loved on and so appreciated, it's, it's just, it is just, it fills your heart and, and just you feel loved. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate you more than you know. So, um, so we're going to take uh, uh, some, a couple days to look at this sheet. We're going to look at the first two today, uh, to change our hearts and to train our minds. That's what we think uh, we see in Scripture that the two of the works of the Holy Spirit uh, might be. But let me first go and share a little bit about uh, the church a little bit, kind of continue the story of Firmer's Chapel because it's a Holy Spirit story uh, like none other. It's amazing what God can do with a little country church and a creek and uh, by, right by a creek. And so um, – some of you have asked, I mentioned this on Monday about uh, some videos that we do, and, and, and so again, business cards are here if you want to contact uh, me or uh, my executive assistant's name is Jeannie Badel, and she's in charge of the Joshua Center. Um, so let me explain to you kind of what that means and what that does. So, so we, uh, about five, well, go back about 2012. So 2012, we began, to, I've been there, I've been there now 2005, seven years, I've been there about seven years, and we had seen some and here's the thing that we don't like. Here's the thing we don't like. Uh, we began to see church growth by about 2012. We've been there since 2005. How many years is that? It took seven years to begin to see growth. You know, in our culture, seven years is way too long. We need ours in the microwave, right? Boom. And, uh, and that is, as we talk to folk, it's like, well, can we kind of get a, uh, can we get a blueprint of what happened at Firmish Chapel and we can do it in our church in like seven weeks? And, and it just doesn't happen that way. Just, it just doesn't happen that way. And uh, I wish it would. I wish it could. But uh, there's a reason why the scriptures talk a lot about waiting. Amen? There, there really is. It's waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the Lord. And, and uh, God's waiting is a whole lot different than ours. Anybody? Anybody? His waiting is a whole lot different than ours. And, and uh, a day to him is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. And so, so it's for him uh, to wait on us, but for us to wait on him looks different. And so we've learned, uh, one of the things we've learned, one of the things that we actually uh, teach and preach at the Joshua Center is how to wait upon the Lord because we just don't do that very well in our culture. I don't think we do, but I know I don't. And, and I, think, uh, I, think I, could, I think there are some of us who could join up. Yep, it's kind of hard to wait. 
But um, by, by 2012, we began to see some fruit. And so we began to hear people called into ministry. So we would teach and preach. And uh, not just me, but we've got other folks who have come raised up. we got, um, I call them a stable. we got a stable of, of folks. So we're a United Methodist Church. Um, how long we'll be a United Methodist Church, I don't know. We're, we're, we're struggling with that, honestly. And just a, another prayer concern. Uh, as soon as I head back on Saturday, um, we have a meeting on Sunday night uh, about, about all of this. And it's just it's hard because, you know, uh, we, uh, we understand where we need to be theologically, but we're a 210-year-old church. And 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 so everything's on the table from uh, kind of saying to the to the to the United Methodist Church, well, God bless you, but here's your building. Uh, or uh, and, uh, again, some of you may not. Uh, uh, the, the, the it's complex and it's complicated, and unfortunately, it shouldn't be because it has to do with, unfortunately, theology. We, we, they've changed some theology that we just can't we just can't stay in that. I just can't. I just can't. And uh, and not not to be mean, not to be. We're not trying to be. Uh, obstinate. We try to be very graceful and loving and kind, and but it's just we just can't stay in a place that that doesn't teach uh, what we believe the Word of God is supposed to teach, and we just can't be there. So so we're trying to figure all that out. And uh, so back up a little bit again. 2004, we began to see people called into ministry. So we began to teach and preach, and as we preached uh, about the Holy Spirit and began to ta- teach about the Holy Spirit, well. The Holy Spirit, we'll find this out uh, tomorrow, but the Holy Spirit is the one who places kind of a call on your life because he's also the one who gives gifts. It says very clearly the Holy Spirit apportions gifts. That's what it says. And so this is his role. And once again, we kind of talked about the Play-Doh last night, you know, the three balls of Play-Doh. They're equal, but they're separate. They're different. They're, they're not the same, but they're, they're, they're same. They're the same substance. They're just not exactly the th- – they're, they're not one ball. They're three balls. So they are three different balls, but they're the same substance. So it's just this mystery, and I can't remember who said this. Somebody a whole lot smarter than me said uh, to, uh, uh, about the Trinity. You, if you, you can't try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. And again, someone said that besides me, and as again, maybe Charles Spurgeon, maybe A.W. Tozer, maybe someone that's, again, a whole lot smarter than me. But, but I agree with that. I, I can't understand the Trinity, but I sure want to be Trinitarian. Does that make sense? I want to fully understand as much as I can in my human little brain, as much as I can possibly understand, Jen, I want to understand the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and appreciate and love God, three persons, one God, not three gods, one God, and, and how does that work? And it's hard to explain, but, but it's just, you know, one God meaning the one substance of God, so, uh, for one God, the Godhead. And, and so as we kind of talked about this and preached about this, we began to see people called in the ministry. We had everything from 10 to 12-year-olds. To 72-year-olds, we had 60-year-olds who gave up pension at Ford, uh, a manufacturing company, uh, a plant in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we've had 65-year-olds who, who uh, just had retired and left and sold everything to go and start a church in Alaska. We have a church in, Al- in Marshall, Alaska, right by the, literally from here to like the walk is the Yukon River. The Yukon River's there, the church is here, and they have a little church with about 80 to 100 right now. And of the 80 to 100, like 60 are kids. And it's this little community of Marshall, Alaska. And so, uh, so they're there, Tim and Vicki Adams. And so that was their very first Sunday. So the very first Sunday, they come in, and uh, they sit in our, uh, the back row. Again, this church about this big, and they sit in the back row back there. And, and, uh, and I see them come in because in a smaller church, uh, in a small country church, you know everybody who comes in. Because, you know, when somebody comes in new, you're like, yeah. And they're like, 
who's that? <laughs> so, 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 uh, so we have, so, so we knew they were here, and we, pr- I preached that Sunday, and at the end of the you know, service, I, I'm, I'm a hugger, I'm a hugger, I just, if, if people like to hug, I'm a hugger, and if not, that's okay, I've learned to kind of pay attention, kind of watch the huggability of people, or I just make, if, if you're not a hugger, that's okay, but, uh, so I come, and so I'm there, at the, uh, and I give you a sweaty hug after I finish uh, preaching, and so Tim and Vicki Adams, and they're just bawling their eyes out, just bawling their eyes out. I've never met them before in my whole life. They just came for the first time th- on that Sunday. And uh, the very first thing that Vicki said, Vicki, Tim couldn't talk. He was, a, he was a mess. He was a blubbering mess. But Vicki said, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. We're selling everything we have, and we're moving to Alaska because of your sermon. <laughs> you know the three things I didn't say? Alaska, <laughs> sell everything, and move. I never said anything about that. I never said anything. So guess who they heard? The Holy Spirit. And what I've learned is uh, sometimes in the negative, people hear things that I don't say. In the negative. Amen? Sometimes people hear things I didn't say in the positive. Praise God. You didn't hear what I said. You heard what God was saying through the Holy Spirit. And we'll see this today about training our minds. The, the actual, the person who's kind of been given the job to train our minds is the Holy Spirit. And you know, anybody else, anybody else besides me, your worst enemy is your mind. Anybody else get inside your head really bad? Battlefield of the mind. Oh, my gosh, Faith. It's hard right there. It's hard right there. It's ugly right there because you think all these thoughts that maybe aren't true and, 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 and all this. So that's why it has to be so firm in, in, in the word and so firm in Christ and so firm by the, uh, by the training of the mind. And we'll see this here in just a few minutes. So we started. It, it, it was, so those stories happen all the time, all the time. And um, at some point from 2012 to about 2015, we had 250 people called into ministry. From this little country church, 250 people. And before that, we, I, as far as I know in our history, we'd had zero. <laughs> I mean, we didn't know anybody that had been called from this church. In the, now, we know. Maybe there was some history that we didn't know. It's a 210-year-old church. And it's a great history. It's a wonderful history. And the thing is, we have a really good historian, a uh, young woman, 38 years old. She loves, she's a history geek, and I'm a history, I'm kind of a history nerd now, but she's a history geek. And, um, and she just loves history, and we have these co- great conversations about how God used this church and how God started this church and, and uh, by a creek. And, and uh, uh, John George Frimmer was the guy who moved from France because God told him to leave his job as a surgeon in the French army to come and uh, start a church, first in Pennsylvania, where he met a uh, uh, newcomer and uh, Bone, Bine, and, uh, and Martin Bine, and, and uh, 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 what's the other guy's name? Um, oh, I can't think of it right now. What? I can't, th- I can't think of his name. But anyway, we'll come. But some of these great names of the Great Awakening, of the Second Great Awakening, he met these people. And then somehow the Lord led him down from, uh, from Pennsylvania to this little creek. And we have a, we have a history, uh, we have his recorded journal. In his journal of 1808, he writes, I found a creek, but more importantly, I found the Spirit of God. Apparently, he found the Spirit of God at this little creek that's behind our church that he planted. So he planted about 38 churches in his history, uh, and Firmer Chapel is the only one that has his name on it, and he's buried in the cemetery right across the church and right down. Uh, is there's a church, big parking lot, big cemetery, and our house. That's what's, that's what's there. Everything else is woods, creeks, possums, fox, deer, uh, and, and, and turkey mites. Got a lot of turkey mites. 
Um, oh, so um, that's one of the questions I'll have for God. So, Lord, turkey mice. Anyway, so uh, so anyway, uh, so we're, we're we have all these people called. So in the United Methodist Church, we have a system. When you're called, you go through a process. Now, not not every person was called into full-time ministry, but they were called youth ministry missions. They were called to be uh, uh, evangelists. They were called to be house church planters. And we just began to have, so we started something called Encouraging the Called in 2012. We began to invite people to explore the call in their life because we believe the Holy Spirit is the one that kind of helps you reveal that call in your life. And then, and we believe everybody's called to something. Everybody's called to be a part of the body of Christ. Everybody. And so if you're, uh, and so, so the one of the questions we ask is, are you walking in your call? And if the question is anything but yes, then there probably is an invitation to pray a little bit more. Amen? And your call is something to do with encouraging the body of Christ and building the kingdom of God. That's part of your call. That comes right from Corinthians and Paul, all Paul in, in Ephesians and in Colossians. Paul says that when we get together and work together as the body of Christ, I love camps. I love this camp. And I've been praying this morning and praying last night and just praying this week. I just love the fact that there are so many people and so many parts and so many pieces. I love it. That's the body of Christ. And uh, I know you get together for a week at family camp, but oh my gosh, you know, this kind of is a glimpse of heaven without, without the power outages. But with the brisket. Uh, so I got to believe brisket. I'm a sweet tea fan. I'm from South. So I think, you know, sweet tea is the official drink of heaven, I think. I mean, I got to believe the sweet tea is the, the official drink of heaven. But anyway, so um, we um, so we started getting people called to the ministry. We started shipping them to the United, the United Methodist Church process. Please hear me. I'm not bashing the United Methodist Church. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not bashing. I, I'm, a, I'm a proud Methodist pastor. I am. I love the Methodist Church. I just don't like what we've become. I love being, if you go to the roots 300 years ago with John Wesley and, and, and Charles Wesley, some of the greatest hymns of all time came by the power of the Holy Spirit through a man named Charles Wesley. Holiness. United Brethren came from that. The UB, the, yeah, yeah, the UB church. In fact, one of the places that we're praying about landing is the UB church. Because guess what Fremont Chapel was originally? A UB church. John George Fremont came, huh? Bayshore also? Uh, yes, I think I read that. And I think that, that, that UB, that, that this was originally a UB camp, and I'm thinking, well, I'm, we're locked and loaded now for sure. And, um, and so, so one of the things we're praying about is, and we're praying about the GMC. I don't think there's anything wrong with the GMC. The GMC, for those who don't know, it's not a model of a truck. It is the first truck I've ever owned, the GMC. But it's the Global Methodist Church. And I got dear, dear friends in the Global Methodist Church, and they're forming right now. I'm, and I'm, I'm good with that. We're just trying to discern. What, you know what we're trying to do? Listen, listen, listen to the Holy Spirit, because only the Holy Spirit knows where this is a big deal. This is a 210-year-old church. And as the pastor of a 210, you got to know I've had some, uh, uh, I just admit my, fall my fallacies and my failures. And I, I've, I've had some sleepless nights worrying about where are we ahead?ing Because guess who gets to help lead that? <laughs> I just I lose some sleep on that because this is a big deal. This is the next future and the next chapter of our lives. And and so as we pray about that, and thank you so much for I invite you to pray with us on that. I know you're praying for other churches and other. I know you are, and so thank you for praying for Firmers Chapel and, and uh, as we make this decision. 
But we're sending people out in 2012, 2013, 14, 15. And I'm just I'm not trying to be mean, just telling you the truth. We we send them out, they would they were schools that we had to send them to, licensed to preach schools and uh, certification programs that the United Methodist Church had set up, some in Indianapolis, some in Tennessee, different places, and you had to pay for it, and you had to go and spend. If you were called in the ministry and you were going to serve in the United Methodist Church, and if you weren't going to be ordained, then there are other ways that the United Methodist Church set up to serve in the United Methodist Church. Does that make sense? So there's one track, and that's ordained, an ordained pastor. Uh, and then there's another track for those who just don't feel like that's their calling. They, they just don't have the time to go to seminary or they don't have the money. They, they, there's another track that the United Methodist Church developed. Praise God. But that track kind of split off. There's local licensed pastor school. There's license to preach. Uh, and uh, I think there's one more. But our people would come back very frustrated and very confused. I'm not trying to be mean. But when they came back in 2014, 2015 and said, Pastor Tim, I thought the virgin birth was real. Pastor Tim, is Jesus the only way to the Father or not? Pastor Tim, is the Bible reliable? And I would look at their homework assignments that they were given. And I, I, and I don't say this in any kind of uh, uh, spiteful way or prideful way, but uh, at this point, none of our people that have gone through, none of our people are still in that process. By about 2018, 2019, everybody was pulled out of those processes, everybody. And so we started realizing what, what can we do, and we don't want to be a part of the problem. We don't want to be just be a complainer. We actually want to be like a, a, a solution. We want to have some offer a solution. So the Lord gave one of our staff members, Jeannie Badel, who's the executive director of the Gospel Center, a vision. And the vision was to start a training center, our own training center. And so that's where the Joshua Center was born. So now when all these folks, so the reason we have, we, we have, um, I can't, she sent me numbers. I can't remember the numbers right now. But we have like 15, uh, 15 I think, uh, churches or house plants or our church plants or micro churches or house churches. We have 15 of those in the area, in the region. We have, we have another, I think I want to say 12 uh, internationally. And we're on four continents, uh, and uh, uh, we are working on the other three. We're not sure what we're going to do with Antarctica. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe some penguins need saving. I, I don't know. We're trying, to, we're trying to figure out. Kangaroos need saving, so we are looking at, we are looking at Australia. Uh, we actually have some contacts in Australia now. But this is a little country church. You just got to get this. This is a little tiny country church that is just being blown up by the Holy Spirit. And this is nothing that some goober from Kentucky does. This isn't because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit and the people praying and now inviting the supernatural Holy Spirit to do something in that church. So, so out of that desperate need of leadership, these are, here we got, we got Tim and Vicki Adams and Kenny Palmer and Ben Bosbeck and I can name, 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 name. All these people who are getting called in the ministry and we can't, we can't, can we? We can't, can we? We can't send them to a school that they're going to hear not only opposite of what they're going to hear at Firmer Chapel, but just simply not true. Right? We can't do that. We can't. 
that's not good leadership. That's not good shepherding. That's not good stewarding. And, and, uh, and so we, uh, that's why we started the Joshua Center. So from the Joshua Center, it is a class. We, we connect with Asbury Theological Seminary on lots of our resources, but we write our own resources. One of the things we have done, we mentioned this on Monday, is a, a video series called How to Hear from God Every Day. How to Hear from God Every Day. And, and God, I, guys, I, I really think that that's the norm. I don't think we're supposed to. So unless we are still kind of thinking like Old Testament where God visits us, if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, how often do you think you should hear from God? Every day, maybe all day. How in the world can we pray without ceasing? And praying without ceasing is not just us talking, talking, talking. Prayer is also what? Listening, listening, listening. And so we should be hearing from God, the Holy Spirit living in us, every day. And so we did this series. It's a four-part series. It's only there's like it's like all of them are less than 45 minutes long, uh, and the teaching is only like about 30 minutes long. We've got a little bit of prayer time. We have a little bit of a, a worship at the beginning, at the end, from uh, some dear friends of ours in Nashville, Tennessee, some recording artists that we know, and just great Christian folks. And then we have um, at the end we have a booklet. There's a booklet that goes with that to just some study questions. So it easily can be done within an hour. And so that's available to y'all if you want. We're actually doing more videos as we are talking. I was talking to someone last night, and we're doing, we're trying to do as many videos as we can. Uh, we're trying to catch up to the demand. We got churches and pastors asking if could we do a series on the Holy Spirit? Could we do? We're working on a six-part series on the blood of Jesus. I'm excited about that one. We're doing a six-part series on the on the blood of Jesus. Same format. It can be done in 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, video video series. Uh, we're doing. Uh, there's a few more that's on the wings there. Um, uh, but uh, the person we're doing, the person, the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so just to let you know, that's that's what's available. Uh, there, some of them are done, some of them are in the process, and some of them are in the future. But uh, it, that's why we did. That's why we started the Joshua Center, because we felt like that the teaching from the United Methodist Church that our people were getting at the best was conflicting and confusing, and at worst was heretical. And so we had to do something different. And so that's, that's uh, so when I mentioned the Joshua Center, when I mentioned, so that's now, uh, and one of the guys that was called in the ministry, he was 16 when he got called. He is now 29. Uh, so for 13 years, uh, we have mentored uh, Tyler Best, and he's one of my great spiritual sons. He's just a great young man. And so he is now, this year, he's taking over Firmer's Chapel as the executive pastor. And I'm moving, uh, uh, the big move is I move from the office in the front of the church to the back of the church. That was the big move. And, uh, and so I'll be the senior pastor of Firmer's Chapel. And uh, people ask, weren't you? Yes, I was. So no change except I don't, exec I don't oversee the day-to-day -day operations of the church anymore as much as Tyler does. And this 29-year-old man who's just wonderful, he's got a great old soul, wonderful. He cares about people. Uh, one of our church plants was his idea. And one of our church plants, it's actually a church plant. It's in a senior living facility called uh, 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 oh, Lofts, Senior Lofts in Corden, Indiana. And uh, we have about 60 or 70 there, and that's their church. And th their church meets on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock, and he's the pastor of that church. And so, so it's just a great, great story. Uh, but the Holy Spirit has done that. So I just share that the Holy Spirit has done that. So um, if you're interested in that or if that can help, we just, all we want, and this is really kind of the heart of my heart of my heart, I just realized that there's a lot of folk who are kind of struggling, frustrated, like we were, trying to figure out how in the world to kind of move ahead in, in, in power, but also giving kingdom glory to God and making sure that Jesus is exalted and the Bible is followed, but also doing it in a way that really kind of changes the culture that we live in. And uh, so 
uh, the, the for the I think the rest of my life I'm supposed to kind of help teach folk about what I'm learning, what I'm learning. I'm still, I have not learned it. I'm still learning about the Holy Spirit and about um, about the Trinity. So that that gives you up a little bit up to speed with where we are at Firmer's Chapel. All right. Any questions on that? Any thoughts? Any questions? Any questions? Any thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we have a website on this business card. So uh, it is called, um, and what you'll have to do, you'll have to contact. They're not they're not accessible. Uh, they'll have to be asked for just because we're trying to keep track of all that. Uh, and that is through the thejoshuacenter.org, thejoshuacenter.org. And you can just, uh, that's through uh, Jeannie. Jeannie Badel is the J-E-A-N-N-I-E is our executive director of the Joshua Center. Her and her husband, um, uh, Tim, great, great friends of ours, and, and uh, I love his first name. Um, easy to remember. Um, so, yeah, you can access it through the Joshua Center.org. So. Uh, there's a love offering. I think they take, it, it costs about $50 to kind of make uh, because we do have, we actually hire somebody to produce it with lighting and sound, and it's not just kind of like a, it's not like a selfie on the phone. Uh, they're actually like done. Plus, we uh, we hired, uh, we did pay a love offering to the music artist uh, Michael and Kristen Ball. They've done incredible. They they they've played for We the Kingdom. Uh, they have done uh, country uh, music uh, with uh, I can't remember some of the names, but they they were at the Country Music Awards, and so they're great, great artists, uh, Michael and Kristen Ball, and so they do the worship for us. So so there's some cost involved. So there's a love offering, uh, but if you can't afford it, be blessed. You know, if you can't afford it, if you give fifty, that's great. If if five thousand dollars is burning a hole in your pocket, five thousand dollars and some brisket will get you a video. It'll get you a video. All right. Uh, anything else? Anything else? All right. All right. All right. So let's jump in real quick to the Word of God. We'll look at those first two: to change our hearts and to train our minds. And this is what we believe Scripture tells us pretty clearly: what God's uh, Spirit is to do. So Ezekiel thirty-six. And turn here as you can. Uh, I'll be reading from uh, the New Living Translation uh, today, but I've also had the NRSV. And I do a lot of translations. I don't know about you all. I don't have like a, a favorite necessarily. I just do a lot of different translations. Um, there's some translations I like a little better than others. Uh, the New Living Translation, I, I'm, I'm pretty sold on because it's uh, about eight of the 20 people that worked on the NLT are actually part of my, uh, there's some Asbury professors that worked on that. And so uh, I trust that, and it's a, it's a little bit different language. But there's sometimes you just, you just need the NIV, or you just need, honestly, you need the King James, and you need the New King James, and some of that language, you know. So, so anyway, I just use a lot of different translations. But the NLT for this one, Ezekiel 36, look at this, and this is the restoration of Israel. So this is the prophet Ezekiel speaking to uh, kind of a hard-hearted people uh, who have continued to practice idolatry. And he says this, and picking up at verse 25, he says this, and so God is speaking to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filthy will be, will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you, pay attention to this, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. Wow. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Look at verse 27. And I will put my spirit. Now, about your translation, that spirit is capitalized. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So already here in, the, in Ezekiel, like 1,300 to 1,600 years before Pentecost breaks out, 
What is God prophesying through, through the prophet Ezekiel? Pentecost. He's prophesying, I'm going to give you my spirit. And, in fact, the only way that you can obey, apparently, the only way that you can obey, listen, the only way that you can obey God is with a new heart. We've been trying to talk about this every night, right? You can't change your habits and think you're born again. Right? Right? Changing habits isn't a bad thing. I used to have, I used to chew my fingernails, oh, my gosh, like, I mean, crazy. I mean, to the nub, to the nub, like, like bloody. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so I was dating Pam, and I realized, you know, I told you all that Pam had two requirements for me to date her, right? Remember this? And she's a, she's a, she was a virgin at the time, and she's going to be a virgin when we got married. And number two, remember this one? I'm always going to love someone, another man more than me, more than you, she said. So I'm always going to love another man, Jesus, more than you. That was the, I realized pretty quickly on our second or third date, she had three requirements. I can't marry a man that's going to chew his fingernails. I was, I was nervous all the time, and I just chewed on dates. I mean, sitting there eating in between bites. And one day, this, now she's from Chicago, uh, so I'm from Kentucky. You know, Kentuckians and Chicagoans are a little bit different in our personalities, right? Uh, I'm a hugger. She's a waver. Hey, she's a nodder. Like, hey, you know. I'm like, hey. Okay. So, uh, so, so. Uh, one time we were sitting there. I don't even know where we're at. Uh, somewhere eating, and she reaches over just so lovingly and just kind of pops my hand, like, because I'm like like this, and like pow. Like, she's like, that's just a really dirty habit. Okay. No one really kind of called me on it. So, uh, guess what? Long before I was born again, guess what I stopped? You don't need the Holy Spirit to change habits. But you do need, apparently, the Holy Spirit to change your heart. Does that make sense? We have a lot of folk, I think, in the church today believing that if they change habits and they're a good person, all we want to make sure is at the end of time, you're not surprised. I know that's my heart. My heart as a pastor, my heart as a teacher and a pastor, I just don't want you to show up at the end of time and being surprised. Well, God, I changed my habits. I didn't cuss. I went to church every Sunday. I even increased my giving from 2% to 3%. Kidding. Kind of. I, I did this, I did this, I did this. And we know what Matthew says about this, right? Matthew 7 says, Jesus looks at them and says, anybody? I don't know you. So he doesn't want anyone surprised. So, so, it's, it's not, so it's not just trying to make sure that we understand the reality many times. And I can speak this. Why? Because I was a Christian atheist for years. I've been so blessed, um, so blessed. The last two, three nights, um, I've had, and even just in conversation, I've had several come up and say, you know, thank you. I am or I was. And so that's all. We just want the Holy Spirit to reveal to us that we need a new heart. And according to Ezekiel, and the next passage in Ezekiel 11 is the same, and the passage in Jeremiah 31 is the same. So you don't have to go there, but, but the main passage is Ezekiel 36. It says, I will put my spirit in you, but he connects, he connects it. God connects spirit and heart. You see that, right? You see that, right? I say, you see that, right? All right, because he, he connects it. He says, I will take out your stony, stubborn what? Heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. But how does he do that, Seth? 
He does that by giving you who? His spirit. Does that make sense? You can't get a new heart unless you have a new spirit. That's the deal. That's the plan. That's God's. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not the church's to change. And so born again is not just having a, a new habit or, or kind of uh, feeling better about your life. Being born again is a supernatural work only affected by the Holy Spirit, only brought about by the blood of Jesus, and only devised and planned by God the Father. That's how born again is. Born again is not habits. Uh, now, sh- we'll see this in just a second when we look at uh, a little bit later. There are things that we will change and we'll partner. Uh, I do think this is uh, A.W. Tozer, I think, says this. Um, uh, there's a partnership with the Holy Spirit. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We just can't sit there and let the Holy Spirit uh, uh, convict us, and then we don't take advantage of that conviction. No, there is a cooperative work, but he has to do something first. He has to do something first. All right, so justification and regeneration. We've already looked at Gen- uh, Titus 3, 7. If you go to Romans 5, 1, beautiful passage about being made right with God. And so this Romans 5, 1 talks about, and again, Romans 5, I just love the book of Romans. It's a pretty powerful book. But uh, again, this translation says, therefore, again, you got to figure out what's therefore, reading through uh, chapter 4. But therefore, since we were made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So justification is this sense that God has made us right. So we're not right with God. We talked a little bit about this last night with uh, being children of God. Um, and, and, and again, this is kind of hard news, but it's, 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 uh, it's, um, I think it's important. I don't know who Nicole is. I don't know if Nicole is even here. Nicole was in the back. She shouted out something, thank you so much, because this is truth that we need to hear or something. And we just have to hear that the world is telling us that everybody's a child of God. I'm not trying to be mean, but that's just not, if you, I don't know if you read, went home and read John 1.12 last night, but John 1.12 says that God gave us the right to become a child of God because of believing and accepting Jesus. I'm not trying to be mean at all, but if we say that everyone's a child of God, then guess what? That dumbs down the adoption fee. And so the same kind of sense, this justification not everyone is right with God. Y'all tracking, right? Y'all tracking, right? In fact, if there's 7.2 billion people on the planet, that's the latest population since the last couple of years, 7.2 billion people on the planet. Anybody want it? I mean, we don't have to guess necessarily, but think about it. How many people do you think are right with God? 3%. I don't know what the percent is, but you know why? You know what I believe, Emily. I believe there are more people who think they're right with God than they really are, and there are more people who think they don't need to be right with God, and who aren't. Why do you think the church is supposed to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world? That was the promise in Acts one. That was the great commission from Jesus, and we are still together. Together, we're supposed to be preaching the gospel. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel because the reality is most. People on this planet are not standing right with God. 
I do a lot of funerals. I do a lot of weddings. I do a lot of uh, 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 deathbed uh, visits, a lot of them. And, and I love those, actually. I love to be at those moments, right? And, and so I get phone calls all the time. And, and I go to the hospital. I go to the house. And the question that they want to know, the qu- every, qu- every person that's on their deathbed, almost every person who's able to speak or a loved one speaking on behalf of them says this. I just want to make sure they are right with God. Romans 5.1. We have peace with God. We've, been, we've made peace with God because we've been born again. We have a new spirit. We have a new heart. When you're born again, you are made right with God. Until then, you're not right with God. Make sense? The only way to be right with God is to be born again. And as we'll see and we'll see and we'll see, the Holy Spirit is the agent, the person who borns us again by the blood of Jesus. Make sense? And then regeneration is that born again in John 3. Anybody know what's happening in John 3? Anybody know kind of the context of John 3? Anybody know? Anybody know there's a, there's a Pharisee that comes up talking to Jesus in the middle of the night? Right, Nicodemus, there's a power outage in Israel at the time, and, 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 and he comes up, and he says, Jesus, can I talk to you? He comes at night because he doesn't want to be seen with him at daytime. He comes at night, he says, Jesus, uh, you know, these things you teach, and, and Jesus kind of goes right at him. In love and grace, he goes right at him. He says, so why is it you question me, Nicodemus? You're supposed to be the expert. I'm just a, I'm just a rabbi. I'm just an itinerant rabbi walking around the country. I have no bed to sleep in. I got no pillow to lay my head. I got no house to call my own. I'm a, I'm a homeless, itinerant rabbi. Why is it that you are asking me these questions? And, and, and Nicodemus kind of to change the subject. And did you notice what John, did you notice what Jesus says in that passage? Immediately he says, the only way that you can be to enter the kingdom of heaven is to be what? Born again. And Nicodemus says, oh, I get it. No. You know what Nicodemus says? Basically, Nicodemus says, how does one enter the womb of the mother again? That's a pretty important question. Now, it's impossible to enter the womb of a mother again. But you know what also is impossible is to be born again by any natural means. That's what that means. There can be no natural means to be born again. The only way that, because he says you must be born, Jesus' own words, you must be born again. I will tell you guys, I will tell you guys, I will tell you, progressive Christianity, that is not anywhere in their top 100 list. In fact, in fact, they'll say, you are fine just the way you are. So listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, listen. We have this culture that we just feel like we just got to do this, right? We just, this is apparently what the new faith is. It's okay. Just do you. That's the new faith. Just do you, man. Just do you. In fact, here's a better one. Just follow your (gasps) worst advice that could ever come out of your mouth. Because according to the Bible, your heart is what? The most deceitful, among the most deceitful of all things. But that's the new culture. This is progressive Christianity. And it's sweeping the land. It is sweeping the land. It is sweeping the land. Check it out. If you don't believe me, check it out. Talk to folk outside of your circle of Christian friends. Go to a senior high school. 
Go to a junior high school. Heck, go to the elementary school. It's okay, man. Just do you. Just do you. How does that fit, though, with being right with God? So what progressive Christianity is teaching, and it's doing very, very well, because people are kind of tired of hearing that I have to be right with God. Why can't I just be, how about this? How about this? This is the language. God should be right with me. That's the language today. Why do I have to be right with God? God should be right with me. What arrogance. What bold, brash arrogance. That the God of the universe has to change his standards to be right with you. That's, that's, never, that's never been scriptural. And, and so we see these in Genesis, or in, in Ezekiel, we see this in, Re, in Romans 5, 1, that we've got to be made right with God. And the only way that we'd be made right with God is a new spirit with giving us a new heart. Does that make sense? So we must be born again. That's what regeneration means. That's what ju- justification means. So Romans 8, we've taken a look at uh, the last couple of nights. Look at, uh, you know, y'all know this one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I bet you some of that, somebody's got that as a power verse of their life. I bet. Anybody, anybody? 2 Corinthians 5. New creation, baby, new creation. All, and I, one of my favorite words of five, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is behold. Behold. You know what that means? Behold means look there. Looky there. Or looky there. There's been significant change. When I told, uh, when I had that born-again experience in May the 10th of 1997, um, and I came home, and I started telling my family and my friends, and, and I actually didn't tell. I was told uh, at the last, the last speaker at Promise Keepers on Saturday afternoon uh, in Cincinnati said this. If something has changed in your life, that's what he said. If something has changed in your life, if you have been radically changed, if something has changed in your life, don't go home and tell anybody. What did he say? Show them. Just show them. Don't go home and say, guess what, guess what, guess what, for like the next few months. Just don't say anything. And people began, my boss at work, a wonderful man of God, a wonderful Christian man, a Lutheran Christian man, dear man of God. He was my, he was my publisher, and I'm the executive editor. And he began to see, like in May and June and July, he began. And so what I didn't tell you was I told you that job offer was coming to go to Wisconsin, and sure enough, it came. It came in September, and in September, the job offer came for about 250 a quarter of a million dollars to be the executive, to be the regional vice president of all of Gannett. USA Today, all of its uh, sister papers, all of its uh, uh, media outlets, TV, radio. I was going to be the regional vice president stationed in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Again, can't do Packers. But Emmett Smeltzer was, he's passed away now. God bless him. I'm an incredible man. So, so, so gracious. But, um, I got the phone call from Washington, D.C., where USA Today headquarters, Phil Curry was the president uh, of USA Today at the time, and he calls me. He says, all right, Tim, we've been working on this for months. Here's the offer. I knew on May the 11th of 1997 I couldn't take that offer. I knew, I told you, as soon as I came home, I knew God was calling me into ministry. Now, God had called me into ministry back when I was seven, eight years old. I ignored that call years and years and ran from it, but I kept thinking, now, May the 10th, May the 11th, and all that whole summer, me and Pam now are talking about this call on my life, and, and, and we know that we're going to be had some significant, significant changes in our lives. So, and so here we are. 
I'm, and things are different. My my, fa- my 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 sister saw it. My 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 uh, my mo- my mom at the time saw it. I was taking care of her, my mom before she passed away in 2000. And uh, and so, uh, but everyone's beginning to see these changes. But when Emmett Smeltzer comes into my office the day after Phil Curry calls me, he sits down. And he says, "You're not going to take it, are you?" I looked at him. I said, "I can't." He said, "I know. I've been watching you." Behold, you shouldn't really have to tell a lot of people you're born again, but a whole lot of people should know that you are. Born again is different than changing habits. And born again is sure different than Christian atheism. And that's what this passage means in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Once again, we go back to Ezekiel that our job, uh, the Holy Spirit's job is to change the heart, right? Ephesians 4 and then Colossians uh, 3, there's similar passages, and I'll read these real quick, and then we'll jump in to train our minds, and we'll wrap up for the, the, the morning here. But uh, in Ephesians, this is Paul telling the church, and this is just, just a couple verses here. Listen to what he says. Um, he says this. So, again, this is that partnership. So is it just the Holy Spirit doing something in you? Yes and no. Only the Holy Spirit can born you again, but, and we must participate now in that process now that he has started that work. So we, we must respond. Uh, so when we have uh, uh, moments where we're convicted of the Holy Spirit or we have a sense that we're supposed to respond to the Holy Spirit, we all know this. There are moments, you know this, you know this, right? There are moments when you know you shouldn't say what is percolating on your heart and what's a bubbling on your tongue and what's about to roll off your lips. Anybody, anybody besides me know, you know, before that tube of toothpaste gets squeezed out and can't go back in, right? Old children's message I do all the time. <laughs> now put the toothpaste back in. You can't. Not well. Everybody knows, right? All, we all know those words are about ready to come out. At one point or another, we know. We've had that moment, right? Oh, I shouldn't say that, right? And. There's a moment where if we train ourselves and we allow the Holy Spirit to train us, we are able. There is a ninth part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's called self-control. You know what that means? You're supposed to be able to control yourself. It's a deep, complicated definition. So temper means we have not practiced the fruit of Self-control, or probably even gentleness. A rash mouth, no self-control. And and so this is the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just saying beholding should mean something, but we also have to participate. So verse uh, Ephesians 4 says this. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, Pay attention to verse 30, 23. Anybody, anybody tracking with me? Anybody at verse 23 of chapter 4 of Ephesians? What does it say? Instead, let, let who? By your minds. My translation says, instead, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Anybody have that? Let the Spirit renew. And that's, in my translation, it has a capital S. Instead, let the Spirit. So who's going to renew your thoughts and your attitudes? The Holy Spirit. That's what it says. Put on your new nature, which has been washed clean. Your old nature has been washed clean by the blood of Christ, by the blood of the Lamb. Created to be like God. You're created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. We're all part of the same body. So, and then Colossians 3 is very similar. 
Colossians 3 is similar to this. And again, just kind of helping us understand the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to apply the change of heart. So we are changing our, the Holy Spirit has changed our heart. Now we're supposed to participate and, and help kind of let him do what he wants to do in us, and then we do what we need to do. So look at this in verse uh, verse 5, and we'll not read all this, but it says, verse uh, 5, Colossians 3, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, right? goes on, uh, used to do these things, verse 7, verse 8. Now's the time to get rid of what? Anger, rage, malice, uh, slander, dirty language. Verse 9, don't lie to each other. You've stripped off your old ways. You've stripped that whole nature off. Verse 10, put on what? Your new nature. Be renewed to learn to know your creator and become like him, right? Verse 12, God chose you to be holy people that he loves. So now what should you do? Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. No mistake, there are four of those are the fruit of the Spirit. Make allowance for each other's fault. Forgive anyone. Forgive anyone. Forgive anyone. Don't you love the Word of God? Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I still, I still convince that many of us, many of us in the Christian church today uh, are lacking in the power of the Holy Spirit because we're holding on to forgiveness. You know how you catch monkeys in uh, Thailand? Anybody know how to catch monkeys in Thailand? True story. You know this, right? True story. I saw it when I was in Nepal. Uh, we have a church plant in Nepal. We've been there a couple of times. But I saw this in live action. You have a jar, a very uh, kind of a jar, small, real fender neck jar, a glass, or not glass jar, but like, a, 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 like an earthen uh, uh, pottery type of thing. And you have that jar, that kind of bowl, that jar, tied to a log or a tree or something. It's staked to the ground. At the bottom of that jar is a piece of fruit, usually. And so the monkey comes, and da-da-da-da-da, monkey's hungry. Monkey takes his little slender hand. Whoop, whoom, grabs the nanner, the apple, whatever. Ugh, ugh, ugh. At any point in time, at any point in time, people in the native uh, there uh, in Thailand or in Nepal, they'll just come and check the jar. Because you know what the monkey's still doing? Ugh, ugh, ugh. You know what the monkey needs to do? Let go. Monkey caught every time. Don't be like a monkey. That's the lesson I think. I mean, that's the lesson I learned. I saw this in real life, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And this is what it says. Um, you must forgive others. Here's the thing. You can't grab hold of the Spirit of God if you're still hanging on to unforgiveness. You'll never know the life of the Spirit. You'll never know the freedom of the Spirit. You'll never know the joy of the Spirit. You'll never know the power of the Spirit if you're hanging on to sin. And one of the largest pieces of fruit that cut, catch us monkeys all the time is unforgiveness. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Neither did you. Well, they did worse to me. I got it. I learned how to, I finally had to forgive my daddy, and, and uh, it was horrible. I mean, I, I, I mean, again, this life that I lived, and, and today I can honestly tell you, I love my father. I, I, I forgive him completely. Most of the things now I think of are the times he took me fishing. 
took me hunting. Uh, we worked in the garden together. Uh, he taught me how to work on cars and, and lawnmowers and all that. And so I remember those things. Do I still remember the horrible moments? I do, but I don't hate them anymore. I don't, I don't hate them. I promise. I don't hate them. I love them and I forgive them. But that's only by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's also by the power of me forgiving them. I had to choose. I had to choose. Somebody say choose. I had to choose to forgive them. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not a feel-good moment. And forgiveness is not letting the person that hurt you off the hook. It's letting your hand slip out of the jar before you get caught. Forgiveness is for your benefit, not theirs. It's not fair I forgive them. It's not about them. It's about you. You're the one trapped. And so I just see this all the time where people just don't have the Holy Spirit fully in their lives. Why? Because they still are grabbing onto what? Unforgiveness. So that's Colossians. That's Ephesians. All right. Let's look real quick at train our minds because I think that's that's really the battlefield uh, that that we really kind of work on. If we have to pick it up tomorrow, we can. But but so Romans 12, 1 and 2, some of y'all, that's I know some of y'all, that's your that's your power verse. Right. Anybody know Romans 12, 1 through 12, 1 through 2? That's it's renewing your mind. Right. And uh, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, uh, uh, your bodies to become all that he's done uh, to let, let him be living in holy sacrifices, the kind he'll find acceptable. Uh, verse two. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Look at what he says. By changing the way you think. Or your translation would say, by renewing your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So if our our minds, if our hearts are changed, then the Holy Spirit needs to also train our minds. So now take a look. One of my the the beautiful passages in Scripture. 1 Corinthians uh, 2. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 real quick. And this is where we talk about the, the, the power uh, of the mind of Christ. Uh, and, and the person who gives us the mind of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 16. He says this. I want to see if I want to start earlier. I want to start at verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything. So, so this is God's Holy Spirit. And he shows us God's deep secrets. Who shows us God's deep secrets according to 1 Corinthians 10, 2, 10? The, the Holy Spirit. No one can know, listen, look at this. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. Look at this, look at this in the last part of 11. No one can know God's thoughts. Finish, finish, somebody finish. Except who? The only one who knows God's thoughts is the Spirit of God. You want to know how God thinks? Who must you have in your life? The Spirit of God. And this is how we train our minds, right? And we have received, look at this, we have received God's Spirit. This is what Romans talked about last night. If you've come to Christ, if you've accepted Christ and the sacrifice of his blood to cleanse your heart and to be born again, then, then, then you've received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. God's not holding it back. He's not, the thing is we're holding back usually. Verse 13, when we tell you these things, we do not use the uh, words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those, look at this, look at this powerful principle in verse 14. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. What that means? Only those who are born again can understand the Spirit of God. 
Only those who are born again can understand the Spirit of God. Who knows the mind of Christ? Come on, guys, help me out. Who knows the mind of Christ? The Spirit of God. Anybody want the mind of Christ? Hope more than seven. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. I know I want the mind of Christ a whole lot more than I want the mind of Tim. The mind of Tim gets me in trouble every time. Every time. Every time. Those who are spiritual, verse 15, can evaluate things, but they can, themselves cannot be valued by, by others. Verse, look at verse 16, last part. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Listen, you don't automatically have the mind of Christ when you are born again. It doesn't, it's not like this. Pow. You have a new nature as soon as you're born again. Praise God. But now there has to be this work of sanctification. Amen. There has to be this work of this process. Now you and I are allowing the word of God, the Holy Spirit, train my mind. Help me think about my identity the right way. Help me think about my purpose, my call the right way. Help me think about my impact in this world the right way. Help me think about things the right way. This is why I believe we're supposed to really allow the Holy Spirit to lead our thinking. And that takes time and it takes training. But who's supposed to train our minds? The Holy Spirit. Look at this in John. So last three we'll look at in John. We'll kind of end in that passage in, in that beautiful gospel of John. Uh, again, if, if there was probably any other passages, I told you if I could pick three passages of Scripture that I would kind of live with, uh, it would be Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8. But if I had another choice, I'd pick John. I love the gospel of John. Just, uh, just beautiful. God. But look at this. And this is John 8. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples, right? And he says this. In John 8, 28, he says that that. When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own. Look at this principle. I do nothing but my, on my own. What does it say? What does it say? Verse 28, John, John 8, 28. Anybody, get, anybody there? I only do what the Father tells me. Jesus only did what the Father told him. Guys, this is the last principle of the morning, but you, this is really important. If you want to live by the Spirit, Jesus himself, the Son of God, only did what? Only did what the Father told him. It's a really important principle here, okay? Jesus, the Son of God, only did. He submitted to the first person. First person, second person, third person, equal, but in humility... Jesus submitted to the Father and said, I will only say and I will only do what you tell me to say and what you tell me to do. This is a principle. Now look at John 12. Go to John 12, a couple pages over. Look at John 12. He says it again, but he says it a little bit differently. Look at this. In John 12, verse 49, he says this again to his disciples and to the crowds. He says this. I don't speak on my own authority. Look at this. Look at this. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say. And how to say it. Guys, Jesus again is saying, I will only say what the Father tells me to say. The only thing that I'm going to let come into my mind is what the Father tells me. Now, yes, Jesus was divine, but we talked about this last week or last night, last morning, <laughs> whenever it was. Today's what day? What month is this? Okay, so what year? But it's, guys, the the the. The, the thoughts, Jesus was 100% God and 100% what? Man. 
He suffered every temptation that man could suffer, Bible tells us, right? He's teaching us a principle. Here's the principle. Here's the last verse. Here's the principle. Look at John 16. This is right before Jesus has gone to be crucified. Look at this, John 16, 13 through 15. He wraps this principle up now. Now, look at this. He says this. When the spirit of truth comes, disciples, Bashor, he will guide you into all truth. He will not. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I, I just get excited. Pardon me for being like a Bible geek. I just love this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide me, guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you what he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Here's the principle. Jesus submits to the Father, the Jesus, when he walks on this earth for 33 years, three years in full-time ministry before his death and before his resurrection. He does only what the Father tells him. He submits. He has trained his mind. He has learned to know that he hears the voice of the Father. He hears from the Father. He's 100% God, yes, but he's 100% man, too, so he can tell us what we can expect, too, and what we can live into. And so here we are. Jesus is submitting to the Father. The Father is telling Jesus exactly what to think, exactly what to say, exactly what to do. Jesus is about to leave and says, I'm going to give you the Spirit of God so that you, you can do exactly what I now tell you to do and you can think exactly what I tell you to think. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Guys, this is power from on high. That, now, listen, I am, I am miles and miles and miles and miles away from this reality. But I'm telling you what, I'm chasing after this with everything I got. I'm going after this with everything I got. I am so tired of my thoughts tripping me up and, more importantly, tripping other people up. I am so tired of my actions being my selfish actions. I want Jesus, by his spirit, who lives in me, to tell me what I'm supposed to say and tell me what I'm supposed to do. And my goal, Didi, I may not make it before I die, but my goal, believe me, Gigi, believe you me, my goal is that everything that comes out of my mouth and everything I do is what the Holy Spirit is telling me because Jesus is telling the Holy Spirit to tell me. That is spirit living. That should be the norm for Christian living. That's the high bar. I believe we've lowered the bar. This is why we make excuses for our temper, our anger, our impatience. This is why we have statements like, oh, it's just so-and-so. That's how he is. No. Go out into all the world and be my witnesses. Now, does that take surrender? Does that take prayer? Does that take fasting? Does that take an all-out, an all-out going after this? It does. It's not going to happen casually. You know, God does nothing casually. Last thing I'll say, I, I told my kids, uh, when all three of them, uh, Melissa, we were talking about this. Yeah, you back there, yeah. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit last night. 
uh, I mean, I'm not, I, I think, I mean, my kids love me as a dad. I, I failed many times as a dad. Oh, my gosh, I was a Christian dad for most of my life. I failed so many times. But when my kids were growing up, uh, I told them, listen, guys, um, the Bible, we want to be, we wor- really want to believe what the Bible says, and we want to kind of do what the Bible says. And, and um, in the Bible times, um, uh, marriages were arranged by the father. So here's how we're going to roll, guys. <laughs> so we talked about it. We had fun with that. But I did tell them, guys, whenever you are going to get to this age, 16, 17, we have some boundaries. We said, you know, we kind of said you can't date until you're 16 because, like, like you, Melissa, it's, it's just going to be awkward at a movie theater because I'm not sitting in the car. I'm sitting next to where the popcorn is. And that probably be between you and whoever. <laughs> and that'd just be awkward. So I'm saving you the awkwardness, right? And so I would say that uh, when you start dating and think about dating around 16 or 17, whatever that is, I said, make sure you're clear. God does nothing casually. We date casually. We talk casually. And guys, we live casually. Again, I think it's Charles Spurgeon. He says, be careful being casual with God. God is serious about invading your life. And he is serious about profoundly changing your life. He's serious about it. He's not playing. He's, he's, not, he's not just casual. And he wants you to have a life of joy and freedom and peace and, 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 and just this incredible sense that at the end of your life, I don't know about you guys, at the end of my life, as much as I wasted my life for 33 plus 363 days, I, 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 I just, oh, I want the rest of my life to count for the kingdom. Anybody else? I mean, just this deep desire. I mean, like a burning ache. I just want my life to count for the kingdom. That's all. But if my life is going to count for the kingdom of God, then I'm going to have to hear from somebody other than me or my friends or the culture. i got to hear from the Holy Spirit who's going to hear from Jesus. And Jesus is going to tell the Holy Spirit to tell me what to say and what to do. My job is to allow the Holy Spirit to train my mind and for me to listen. We'll talk about that more tomorrow, and we'll talk more about that on Friday. But... I love you guys. I just, oh, I get, I get wound up because this is good stuff. This is high living, not low bar living. No, no more low bar living. All right, I know lunch is soon. Uh, we have about another, I'm about eight minutes. So eight minutes worth of questions. And I'm, I'll stick around, you know, I'll stick around as long as we need to. Any questions at all? Any thoughts? Any questions? Any thoughts have been percolating as we've been going, looking at scripture? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Thank you, Elijah. My son's in his 50s and uh, not living with the Lord now, but married a girl who was a Jewish, but she's atheistic and doesn't believe that the Bible. Right. But we're having a discussion, and it came to me when she said that she said, Scott is a good man. I can't believe that God would send him to hell. And I said, okay. 
That was good. So she lowered it, and I said, okay, let's make good 100. Is 80 enough? Is 70 enough? Tell me what that magic number is for good. But so many people, even at funerals, you hear it, right? Oh, my God. He was good. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, and it scares me. I'm going to see him in a few days. Amen. We're going to have a little talk. Amen. <laughs> What's his name? Can we? Scott. 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 Okay, we'll pray for Scott. Um, I do a lot of funerals, and it seems like the only, again, we're trying to be, we were very loving about this. I love you as a father, talking to your son. I, I love you, sir, and I thank you so much for just having that. Because those are important conversations to have with Scott and um, uh, the, the woman that he's with. Um, and so we do this with grace. We do this with love. We don't, we don't beat people over the head. We just try to share with them our story, and we share with them, more importantly, the gospel story. And you're exactly right. There's a lot of good in the world today. But, I, again, if you don't believe in the word of God, that's okay. It is. You just have to kind of have a little talk with Jesus. Because if you don't believe in the word of God, I, again, the loving question is why are you a Christian? Because you can be something else and not believe in the word of God. If you believe in the word of God, if you're a Christian, then that kind of means you kind of believe God and you trust God. And you're learning how to trust God. But there are a lot of scriptures, right, that talk about there's no one good. Old Testament and New Testament, there's no one good. And what God means, God doesn't mean there's not, like, good, fine people. He just means you can't get to heaven in your own righteousness. The only way that you can get to heaven is by believing, accepting Jesus' righteousness, which is perfect. That's what it means. Yeah, funerals, it seems like the only requirement to get to heaven is you die. That's the only requirement anymore. Yeah, well, <laughs> you be baptized. <laughs> You're, that's kind of true. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, going along with some, especially the Corinthians 2.13, but the under the change our hearts, change our minds. Yes, sir. When it comes to um, debating theologies, um, obviously, we c if there's two sides, we can both be wrong, but we both can't be right if they're contradictory. Very good. Um, and if, if the scripture says there's a Holy Spirit component to understanding and knowing the truth, is there a point where we, we we have to come to a conclusion that the person I'm debating or myself, one of the or both of us, aren't being led by the Spirit in what we're believing? That's really good question, Jimmy. That's a great question. I'm going to steal that uh, about because I've heard never heard that that way before. You can both be wrong, but you both can't be right. right. Uh, I love that. Um, yeah, I think there's a good conclusion, and this is why a lot of times what you'll hear me say. And especially uh, questions, and I do a lot of, uh, I, I, my, my office is in the church, but my real office is in the coffee shop that we have, that we, uh, that we uh, have uh, had services at, and, and we help supply the, the funds for and all that. So that's my main office, and I sit and talk with a lot of people, atheists and, and, and Muslims, and, and I have a lot of great conversations. One of the things I, I continue to add in my language is I could be wrong. And I say I might be wrong, or I say I could be wrong. But I have chosen to believe that God isn't. And so that's my language. I've used that language many a time. I could be wrong. And so when I see that the, when I see that the debate or the conversation is going kind of this kind of the stalemate, I, I usually feel like the Holy Spirit says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. You don't beat people over the head. You can't. I think this is where Christians sometimes get a bad rap. We kind of come across kind of mean-spirited or like you know, narrow-minded and you've got to do this. And that's no, it's just God's always this. God's never a headlock God. He's the invitational God. And, and so what I'm learning, I'm still learning this because my passion gets me in trouble. I'm just passionate about what God has done in my life. But 
but I try to learn that exact thing, Jimmy. I could be wrong. I've chosen by faith to believe God is able. And that's the language I use to that very that very moment. That's a great that's a great word. Anything else real quick? Anything else? Anybody else? Good word, Jimmy. Anything anybody anybody? All right. Oh, here you go. Yes, ma'am. Along the line about the Jewish girl, one of our prayer warriors who went here for many years, Brother Oscar, uh, his his son converted to Judaism, and so he passed about a year ago. So at his funeral, uh, his son watched him suffer and suffer from a car accident from monks, and he said that his dad never lost his faith, mm. and that Jewish man right here at Seabling Cemetery said, he saw God's favor on his dad, and what an impact. Wow, wow. And, you know, we never doubt God's mercy. We never doubt God's grace. Uh, I've been asked a thousand times, um, what about deathbed conversions? Guess what? I've learned as a pastor the three most famous words, I don't know. I pull that out of my pocket all the time. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not smart as, like, I'm not as smart as, most people, I really don't think I'm very smart at times. I just think I'm learn. I'm trying to learn the scriptures. All I know is I've chosen to believe what God says about faith and about what He says about being born again. But I also know that God is a God of grace and mercy, and I can't, you know, I, I can't question what God might do at those last. Mo- My mama um, came to Christ in the last two months of her life, and someone I don't know who you are. You may not even be in here tonight today, but someone asked me about my daddy and he if he ever found faith, and I, I, I don't think he did. I mean, it was instantaneous, but you know what? I don't know. I don't know what happened at that moment spiritually. So do I hang on to hope? I do, but guess what? Whatever happened, has, whatever's happened to my daddy has happened. I can't change it, but I will tell you, one of the reasons I have passion to evangelize and witness is my daddy because why do you want to take that chance? He's, oh, he, I just, oh. And you miss out on living life, right? You miss out on living a spiritual life. So, yes, sir. Probably last one we'll pray out. Thank you guys so much. Love you. Hi. Um, so one thing that's uh, I'm thinking of is you're talking about the Holy Spirit and having our work in our lives. And another thing that I know a lot of churches don't like to preach about is demons and yeah. the other side doing the same. And like with the split in the UMC, a lot of times I see the argument change to hating the sinner and not the sin, and they say, well, you're just against this person or that person. Right. When in reality, you know, it's it's not the <coughs> sinner, it's the sin. Mm-hmm. You know, if you crashed a car five times and I haven't, I'm probably more likely to ask the better driver to drive <laughs> sometimes. But you know what I mean? Amen. <laughs> so what do you think about, you know, the devil and demonic possession, stuff like that out there? Absolutely real. Uh, what's your name, man? Steve. 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 Uh, absolutely real. I'm. Um, and we can. We're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow when we talk about gifts and and fruit. We're gonna, we'll jump into gifts. The Holy Spirit's job is to give gifts, and the Holy Spirit's job is to produce, to re- produce fruit. I have said this before. I'll kind of end with this, and, I'll, and we can talk a whole lot more. I believe in. I believe. You know what demons are, right? Demons are simply what angels. That's all they are. And so there are fallen angels, exactly. And there are angels of light and angels of dark. Uh, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Uh, I believe without the Holy Spirit, we, the church, will be deceived. We're not smarter than Satan. 
I've heard some really bad theology about Satan. Satan's dumb. What? He's the shrewdest of all. He's little. He can't. He has no power over you. What? He has great power over you, especially when you allow him to. Now, he has no power over the Holy Spirit of the living God. He has no wisdom over the Holy Spirit. He has no ability to outsmart. the. You know who's smarter than the devil? The Holy Spirit, who's supposed to live inside of you. But if you are not cultivating a deep and profound relationship with the one inside of you, I think you're open to any and every attack that the enemy may bring. Here, here, your lifestyle, deceiving you. Your identity, here's who you really are. Nope. So I 100% believe we do, in fact, going back to the Joshua Center, we are right now in the process of putting together, we think it's going to be a four or five-part series on spiritual warfare. Just a four or five-part series, just like the rest of them, 45 minutes long or so, an hour long, you can put it in an hour, is on just on spiritual warfare. Because it's that important. 100%. Gary, if I have to, so if I don't believe in demons, I'm not sure what Jesus did with half of his ministry. Seriously. If I don't believe in demons anymore, because, and I will tell you, progressive Christianity does not believe in demons. And progressive Christianity does not believe in that part of the Bible. So if there are no demons, and there's all kinds of ways to get to heaven, how dangerous is that? That is eternally dangerous. You got to know, exactly, you got to know your enemy. The best way to defeat your enemy, I mean, uh, General Patton knew that. That was his famous quote. Know your enemy, you know. Yes, sir. Yeah, many years ago when I first came to the Lord, uh, we were born and born and born again, and I was 32. But uh, I was grieving over my family because a couple of my members of my family didn't want nothing to do with us anymore because we left the religious church and got born again, and we were talking about the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me, and He said, "Remember Moses." And I thought about Moses. I was just a baby Christian then. And as I thought about Moses, he says, remember Pharaoh, and what did Moses say to Pharaoh? When he said to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. He said Pharaoh was a representative of the forces of evil. Moses was a representative of God. He says, you can speak to the forces of evil and declare, let my people go. And he said, life and death is in the power of the tongue. He says, you don't think your prayers, you speak your prayers, just like Jesus taught us. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But anyway, the point is, and I encourage people, if you've got family members that are not saved, God's word says you and your household shall be saved. So start speaking to the forces of evil and declare, let my people go so they can serve and know the Lord. I pray that prayer over my household every day. Good word. Amen. Good word. Thank you. So what's your name? Minnesota? We are done once again with a session. Love you guys. Thank you. What is it? Bill, thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you. All right. I want, uh, let's pray out. Let's pray out. We love you guys. I'm sticking around if you need to chat. I just love you guys. What a high privilege uh, this is. It's a high privilege to be with you all this week. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you. We exalt your name. Uh, we exalt your name. You are high and lifted up. And we want you to be high and lifted up in our own lives. And, yes, what we speak and how we speak. Holy Spirit of Jesus, Holy Spirit of the Trinity, Holy Spirit of the living and loving God of the universe, will you please help change hearts and train minds? Will you help change hearts and, cha and train minds? Change our hearts even 
any, even from if we're born again, praise God, but there's still probably things in our hearts that need changing. There's still some stony, stubborn patches, amen? So help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit. Unforgiveness, anger, malice, hatred, bitterness, jealousy, whatever, the critical spirit. But also train our mind. We want to, to think, oh, my gosh, this principle that Jesus only spoke and did what the Father said. And now Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth so that you can act like me when I walked on this earth, that you will only do and say what I now tell you. Wow. Whew. We admit we got a long ways to go, but we confess and we profess we be a going that way. We want that. I pray you give us the desire for more of your spirit so we can be more like Jesus in a very needy, broken world. We love you. We thank you. Trust this lunch is going to encourage us and fill us up even as we pray, Holy Spirit, please fill us up even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.